as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Welcome to this week's Speak Up podcast of Speech Pathology Australia. I'm Gail Mulcair, the CEO of Speech Pathology Australia, and earlier today I was really thrilled to be speaking with Craig Gear, the Chief Executive Officer of OPAN, which is the Older Persons Advocacy Network. Craig will expand on the role and purpose of OPAN, but briefly, it's a national network of state and territory organisations that provide advocacy, information and education services for older people across Australia. Craig's been the CEO of OPAN since 2018 and has over 20 years experience as a healthcare consultant, working in senior management and within the health sector. Craig's passion is working towards a better level of healthcare for all Australians and internationally. Flowing from his background in nursing, Craig is passionate about connecting and improving the health system for all Australians and also has previously held positions on a number of non-government organisation boards. He was the inaugural chair of OPAN and the previous chairperson of Seniors Rights Service in New South Wales. As CEO of OPAN, Craig and his team support consumers and their families to have access to strong advocacy for services across the aged care system and to have their rights upheld. OPAN espouses a human rights approach to aged care, which has a very strong alignment with the speech pathology profession in advocating that effective communication and safe swallowing are fundamental human rights. So we're really delighted to have this chat with Craig and to explore current issues and mutual interests, particularly on the back of the Aged Care Royal Commission and the recent government response to the Commissioner's recommendations. And it was good to discuss how our collaborative efforts might help to ensure the needs of older people with communication and swallowing difficulties are met. Let's take a listen. Craig, thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to Speak Up. Thank you. Good to be here today. Perhaps we can start by you telling us about the role of the Older Persons Advocacy Network and your thoughts on the current top priority areas for consumer advocacy in aged care. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of the newbie around here, I suppose, into the aged care sector. My background's in uh, health and health consulting, and I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers in their health consulting business uh, before that, I worked in the prison system. So coming to the world of advocacy did come from a little bit of working with vulnerable populations and did work with mental health and uh, uh, in the HIV sector. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but I stepped onto the board of what was Seniors Rights Service and they were an organisation that had been delivering aged care advocacy for the last really 25, 30 years. So advocacy has been around for quite a while and the program has has been there and an aged care advocate is that person that sort of walks uh, beside an older person and their family to help them to have their voice heard mm -hmm. and to have 
issues that they might be having with the aged care system uh, brought to the attention of the aged care provider or the other parts of the, the system and to how to get those issues resolved. Yes. And we talk about that an advocate is a person that walks beside that person. Um, ideally, we work behind them because we've given them the power and the skills to walk mm. themselves and raise their voice themselves and that confidence and that they're not going to, there's not going to be consequences for them complaining or raising an issue. Um, but sometimes people feel that they want someone there beside them to do that. Yeah. And then we also talk about them walking in front where mm -hmm. that sometimes people are just too fearful or they're, they're, they're vulnerable and they want someone to, to actually go out and go into bat for them. So that's what we do is to try and get those issues resolved. So we have nine member organisations that came together in 2017 to, uh, I suppose, look at how we consistently deliver to as many people, older people as possible across the country to make sure their rights are known, their rights are upheld and their voices heard. Mm. And that's absolutely really critical, isn't it? And as you said, it's really important that people are feeling empowered to be a self-advocate if they can, but if they, if they can't, that they're being supported in terms of their particular needs and their rights. Um, the work of OPAN sounds particularly relevant for the people that speech pathologists work with, given that those with communication and swallowing difficulties are a particularly vulnerable group. We often talk about communication difficulties being a silent or invisible disability. People have no voice, if you like. Um, they're not able to express their views and concerns uh, or not easily and often have no means to complain if they're not happy with the services they're receiving. And this places them at a, a really great disadvantage and can leave them open to abuse and neglect. And we know that the older person may have limited speech pathology services for an acute swallowing difficulty, but it's even less likely that the elderly, particularly when they're in residential care, will receive supports and strategies to assist with their communication needs. Speeches are often needing to be the voice of their older clients, but, um, but it but certainly seems that clearly we've got an ally in OPAN in supporting a person's or, or their family's advocacy needs. So, so, Craig, what do you feel would be OPAN's advice to our members in Speech Pathology Australia about how best to support their clients' access to advocacy, either through OPAN or other avenues? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the great things about OPAN is that we have, uh, around about the moment, 80 to 90 advocates out there on the ground uh, doing that individual support, information provision and education to older people, their families and representatives. Uh, what, what that does, though, is brings a wealth of data and information up to the system so that we can try and influence systemic change as well. So we're not primarily, a, uh, a, we, we are the peak body for individual advocacy support for older people, uh, but we work in conjunction with uh, other organisations such as SPA, uh, CODA, National Seniors, to actually, like you say, bring the voice of the older person into the system. That's particularly challenging with people with uh, speech and communication difficulties. Yes. And it's been really interesting that I've seen what I see is around the Charter of Aged Care Rights and the really the importance of that charter um, and the importance of us understanding that older people, you do not check your rights at the door when you go into aged care. Every older person has rights. But particularly for me is right number seven, which says I have control over and make choices about my care, my personal and social life, including where those choices involve personal risk and also 
there's rights that talk around the right to uh, have information in a way that I can understand. And I think that's particularly where speech speeches come in and are mm. absolutely vital in the system. One of the things that disturbs me is when people have had some of the stories where people have had swallowing difficulties and they've been disempowered about being able to make choices around how they will have a meal and the loss of enjoyment that that and the impact that does on someone's mentally the importance of speech pathologists being part of that care planning and actually working with the provider to find a way that someone can still have the enjoyment of food and yes that might mean they've got swallowing difficulties and that they might have to take some risks that they might struggle and swallow but i've seen some amazing providers working with speeches to actually find a way that people can take risks and yes they might choke there might be some risks there but people have been able to exercise that choice knowing what the risks are and actually doing that so then coming to the point of really around what i was just going to say sorry craig i was just going to add in there that um that's really very relevant at the moment for us because we're about to release a a practice guideline to our members um, around informed choice and shared decision making yes. with clients who eat and drink with acknowledged risk. And it's it's exactly what you were saying, that it's around people having the 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 right to make their choice, but an informed choice and to be able to be supported in that decision making. Um, and the communication around those issues, but people's choice also being being very clear. Um, and at the same time, we also strongly advocate around mealtimes being an enjoyable and social part of people's lives. It's very much what we all do. And so we recognise that, yes, we want a person to be able to eat and drink safely, but it's also around that social participation and that enjoyment. It's exactly. And my God, what what a, what a impact that would be on our lives as we age and to have that taken away from us of the, I suppose, the, the challenge that it is around wanting to still engage with what, what is something we do every day, engage around meals and engage in that. And it's such a, such a thing of feeling socially isolated if you can't do that. Mm. So, so for speeches, I think, is, is where they can be an everyday advocate. A speech pathologist can be seeing these things and seeing where someone's right to be, a, what we talk about is a supported decision-making process but also then working with the provider to actually say, yes, there's some risk here, but the risk is known, the risk is manageable, and this is the person's choice and they have choice and control. So that everyday advocate. Then also when that gets a bit challenging to realise that they've got resources around as well that uh, will uh, allow them to get supports from an advocate. So by dialing 1-800-700-600, that can help get an advocate in place to help uh, an older person uh, get their rights and, and have those discussions with their provider. So um, really it's about knowing what advocates do and if you see something, to say something. Um, we'll talk a little bit more, I think, as we go through around the risks of elder abuse and the fact that the speechy might be the person who actually picks up uh, issues around that, that someone is, is experiencing elder abuse and that the absolute need for uh, access to advocates and to promote that on that we can work together as a team to support the rights of older people. Thanks, Craig. Yes, and um, we will have a chat about that because, as as you know, we've been um, very involved in that e-learning program yes. for health professionals around elder abuse. So let's let's have a chat about that too in a moment. But I was just interested in um, following up on your comments around the Australian Charter of Aged Care Rights 
And just, again, I know that OPAN has a very strong um, platform around protecting people's rights. And, and again, Speech Pathology Australia is quite aligned with that in that we argue that communication is a basic human right. Um, and yet communication difficulties are often normalised as a part of the ageing process, but that needn't be the case and, and, and shouldn't be just accepted without giving people the strategies and means to support their communication. And in terms of a, a rights framework, that's, that notion is supported through Article 21 of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability, which is around freedom of expression and opinion and the right to express oneself. But interestingly, there is not a specific UN convention on the rights of the older person. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I know that we've all been very involved in the um, potential outcomes of the Aged Care Royal Commission and uh, all the recent budget announcements. There's been strong messages in all of that around a human rights approach to aged care. And I was just wondering if, if you... Um, might like to comment around that because OPAN's certainly had a strong voice in that area and how you might see um, the aged care sector can work towards ensuring a human rights approach is embedded in our aged care system. Absolutely. We, we Unfortunately in Australia we don't do well on rights and when I came into this role and we started to launch the Charter of Aged Care Rights and we started to go around and uh, talk to people about this new charter and why it was important and it was hard to almost pin down for us, for, for even for myself, about what is a human right? Um, what, what, what does that fundamentally mean and why do we need them? And I went to the Jewish Museum in, in Sydney and, and was walking through there and so school children had been through and put up, what does, what does human rights mean to you? And it really was, was really telling that, that children understood it. You will respect me. You will listen to me. You will hear me. You will see me as an individual. And that was really powerful because it's yeah. sort of, why, why is it so hard for us to get that in Australia and get that into, um, particularly with, with ageing and aged mm. care? Mm. It's, it's, but it seems to be if we could get those things into an Aged Care Act that fundamentally the legislation itself won't drive the change, but it will be the bedrock for change. Yeah, absolutely. So having an Aged Care Act that is framed and embeds human rights and the rights of older people to be respected, to be listened to, to maintain their choice and control is something we just absolutely have to have in Australia. And it is a shame. I think there's been some discussion and whether it's intentional or whether it's just the play out of, of the busyness as we've gone from Royal Commission report to budget to now looking at implementation. But we can't just have a values-based aged care act. It has to be framed in human rights because that is the basis of us making sure the older person maintains control and uh, what we want into the future as well. So well, I think we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight to absolutely. push for this. Absolutely, because yeah. it really is around maintaining people's dignity and respect and being yes. having the right to exercise um, their choice and control and to have a say in how they are being um, um, supported and, and treated in the aged care system. So totally agree with you. And, and just going back to your comment around children might understand their rights. We actually do have a UN Convention of the Rights of the Child as well, right. but we just yes. don't have that at the other end of the age spectrum. So it, it is about time that we do some work around that, not just here in Australia, but also perhaps on that sort of global stage as well. And Absolutely. So the, the International Convention is going to be really important. 
Um, but what we do here in Australia is is actually probably more important. One of the th- pleasing things for me is the National Aged Care Alliance met recently and across the four constituency groups of uh, aged care providers, consumer organisations, uh, health and allied health professional associations and the unions, everyone was talking about human rights. So that's really pleasing that it's becoming into our lexicon now to talk about uh, human rights within aged care and and the Royal Commissioners saw that as fundamental. But I think we're going to have to push and bring society and community along about why this is important and why we have to have this in the new Aged Care Act. Mm. And, and in practice, I think that's the other thing. Having it in the Act is one thing. Translating it into everyday practice of how we p- practice as health professionals will be the next step in that as well. And possibly we don't need an Aged Care Act to actually do that in our daily practice but it will help drive it as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, accountability and responsibility is all a part of that as well because, as you say, it might be all very well to have it um, sort of articulated in a document, but we need to see it actually in practice um, being very much part of how older Australians are are being treated and respected and and that they've got, um, um, you know, the dignity that they deserve. So certainly the Aged Care um, Quality and Safety Commission has an important role in that as well in terms of um, being able to evaluate and monitor are people's rights being um, protected. Correct. One of the exciting things we're doing is actually, it sounds a bit geeky and silly, but we're building into our data systems the 14 statements from the Charter of Aged Care Rights so that when people call us, we can actually go, what what right of the person is being breached here? Because we actually need a Charter of Aged Care Rights that's actually enforceable as well. Mm. It's great that it's a piece of paper. It's great that it's there, but we need enforceability on that as well. And that's where, the, as you said, the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission comes in. They need to be assessing against the rights and we need to be talking the language of rights in everything we do that needs to be in our DNA. Mm. And it needs to be, because I know there was just a recent announcement that they are now... Um, also investigating any complaints that come through and and reporting on incidents of of potential neglect and abuse. But uh, that's where someone is able to make a complaint, whereas, again, people that we're working with who have communication difficulties don't necessarily have that ability to be able to make a complaint. So there needs to be something a bit more intrinsic in terms of looking at how people are being cared for and, and supported um, outside just simply, um, you know, those who are able to make a complaint. Exactly. Those people that are vulnerable who don't have a voice. Mm. We need to find the other ways that use that speeches are really good at of bringing communication tools and alternate communication tools so that people are still part of a supported decision-making process. Mm. Mm. I'm just wondering too, Craig, in terms of all of the, the recent um, work around um, the, the Aged Care Royal Commission and, as you mentioned before, the budget announcements and the government response to the Commissioner's recommendations, I think it's fair to say that Speech Pathology Australia feels um, that the government's response is a real letdown for people with communication and swallowing difficulties. The Commissioners themselves put forward a number of uh, different recommendations, positive ones that we felt potentially do um, address having improved access to allied health and particularly some of the recommendations such as 36 and and 38. But the government's not given a strong support necessarily for those, perhaps some support or in principle support 
but no indication of how allied health services, including speech pathology, will be better funded and, and made available. So again, I'm just wondering, you know, some other thoughts that you might have, um, as well as us, you know, all collectively working towards a, a human rights approach, but other ways that we might be able to work together to get greater traction from the Royal Commission. What are, what are yeah. your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think it is is one of the there were some missing pieces of the puzzle. Um, I think there's a number of them. I suppose we have to talk look at this as a transformation journey, and we are we are at the starting line in some ways. We, We've possibly got ahead on, on some things like restrictive practices and um, some of the home care packages that have been released. But we've got a, a long, long way to go. And access to allied health um, uh, and access, particularly in, in regional and remote areas, of just the absolute absence of people being able to have equitable access to what is a right to have uh, health care and allied health care and speech pathology. So fundamentally looking at, and if we can design it for rural, regional and remote areas, then we can solve it for the city. But I think we do need to focus on uh, appropriate access to uh, these services, which we know. Why should someone who lives in a rural area or remote area not have the ability to access a speech pathologist for their um, swallowing and and communication issues? It's Mm. just um, something that we're going to have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing for and not accept just because it's not in this tranche of the transformation plan that we can't bring it into um, the upcoming years of Mm. what will be a five to ten year journey to uh, transform the aged care system. Yeah, and it's important to have that really clearly articulated in the implementation plans as well. Um, That, as you say, perhaps there's not going to be um, immediate response in in the first tranche, um, but we need to make sure that there are those plans and not too far in advance, that we need to have some short-term and medium-term goals around that. And as you say, it shouldn't be a postcode lottery as to whether someone is able to access speech pathology services or not. So it shouldn't be um, around their um, location. We need to make sure that there's equal access across the whole Australian system. Absolutely, yes. So um, earlier we mentioned, um, Craig, the, some of the um, education and learning programs that um, OPAN are involved in. Um, as you know, there, there's been um, involvement by Speech Pathology Australia, which has been great, in the e-learning program for health professionals on the abuse of older persons. Um, and it's been great that we've been able to be involved in uh, some of the course curriculum development and also uh, featured in the video resource. We're also keen to be involved in highlighting how speech pathology can support people not needing to be chemically restrained, which I know is another recent education of OPAN. For example, we know that investment in supporting someone to be able to communicate more effectively is a really important strategy needed to reduce the unnecessary use of chemical restraints. So that's an area that you might like to um, chat about as well, but also whether you've got any further ideas on how we as a profession can provide input and contribute to some specific resources in these areas. Yeah, and I'll go back to the Charter of Rights again, as I, I keep doing, because it's kind of, we feel like we're a bit of the custodian of that of that document, but it is a, it, when it's used properly, it is powerful. It, it was a shame that it, when we did develop up the Charter, that the right to live free of abuse, uh, of, of chemical and physical restraint, 
um, was proposed, it didn't get in there. I think that is something that does need to be enshrined in the new Act and enshrined in the new Charter of Aged Care Rights or any refinement of it. Because abuse and neglect um, has to be stamped out in Australia. It's, it, we, 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 it's, it's hidden. Um, people will see it and not know what to do. Um, allied health professionals will see this and think, what, what's going on here? So the role we've been talking about with OPAN is around our education role for preventing abuse of older people. If you see something, you need to say something. You need to get supports in. You need to know what to do, um, whether that be sexual assault, which is some work we're doing with Dr Catherine Barrett, or this broader, the range of types of abuse. And it's been fantastic to work with Marie Brown and Marie Montgomery in developing up, and Kay Patterson, developing up this e-learning package, which is for all health professionals, and we can all learn something out of it. So um, I really thank Speech Pathology Australia for the time, uh, commitment and uh, expertise you put into this. That, that sort of thing of, of translating it into a course that we can learn over time and look at how do we change our practice to be more um, uh, more mindful that this abuse could be going on, but then how to bring resources in to support someone to prevent that going forward, which is, can be a really tricky issue. Mm-hmm. So looking at that, and then particularly, as you talked about, is physical and chemical restraint. If there's better communication mechanisms, if supported decision-making is a fundamental practice that's there, uh, if there's a way for people to, to look at nonverbal cues and to look at then wrapping around behaviour support around that as well, that means we won't need physical and chemical restraint Mm. or it will be so limited in emergency uses that we'll be able to see it and we'll be able to monitor it and see when it is appropriate, uh, which will be rare, and when it's inappropriate and to stamp out that practice. There needs to be more aged care staff to be able to enable that and there definitely needs to be more um, speeches to be able to help in that planning as well. So... Um, and working together around that and getting resources and getting knowledge out about abuse prevention, uh, restrictive practice prevention, and uh, working together around the resources of advocates to be there as part of that as well is going to be really important. Absolutely. And uh, um, as you'd know, communication difficulties in a person will, will result in, in significant frustration for them. And often that's, that can be what's underlying their behavioural difficulties. Um, so as well as looking at how a person can be better supported in terms of their communication, it's around looking at what's, what sort of supports from a behavioural point of view can um, assist in managing that, um, reducing the need for any kind of chemical or, or physical restraints as well. Yes, and, and that takes a whole team, doesn't it, to do that? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and we know that the, um, the e-learning program for, for the abuse of the older person is going to be launched quite soon. Um, there's been a, a slight delay in that. We, we were talking about that earlier, but it is going to be launched, officially launched quite soon. And we were really pleased to have um, another, you mentioned Marie Brown, involved in the curriculum development, but we also had Nikki Gear on um, feature in one of the video presentations um, uh, within that resource. So we were... as you know, really pleased to be involved. Yeah, so I'd encourage once that's launched, which we hope is early July, uh, for for every member of your organisation to go and look at the great work that SBA's been doing and, and collaborating with OPAN on that and uh, and go through the training. There'll be something in there for everyone. And we'll certainly link it to our learning management system as well so that um, our members have got access to that. Um, 
Craig, it's been really fabulous talking with you today. Uh, our respective organisations obviously have a very strong alignment in our advocacy efforts, and it'll be great to work closely with you and your team around achieving critically needed aged care reform. And I'm sure our members will be keen to connect up with OPAN to support the advocacy and service needs for their older clients who've got communication and swallowing difficulties. As we said before, communication is a, a basic human right and SPA and OPAN have the same intentions and objectives in protecting the human rights of our older Australians. So Craig, thanks once again for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day and I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.